Hey guys, welcome back to Profitable Property Management. This episode is with Benton Cotter, a five-time repeat property management entrepreneur. He's grown a number of businesses. RentVest is one great example where he took it from zero to around 4,000 units over three years. Some pretty fantastic growth, a lot of insights, talking about his tech background, how he leverages technology to get 80-20 maximal value, the practical approach that he applied to actually gain both through organic and paid acquisition campaigns. There's a lot to cover here. I think you're going to like it. Check it out. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Muela, and today I'm here with none other than Benton Cotter. My man, how you doing? Good, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Good to be in the room with you. I'm excited to catch up on your journey and your background, and I'd love to start early. Okay. I'd love to hear about the disposition, the experiences that got you into the game, that got you into entrepreneurship in the first place. Oh, man, the question, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, I purposely went into property management. No, I didn't. No, no one ever purposely goes into property management. So, uh, yeah, getting in the game. So, actually, my, my background is I was going to school for computer programming. Um, it was right around 2008 after the housing crash, lost everything. Typical story. And uh, trying to figure out what I was doing, I was actually living with my mother-in-law. And across the street living with his in-laws was another guy that was doing starting a property management business and he's like hey can you help me out with a little bit of the technical stuff and so when we started the company i kind of helped with a little bit of the technical stuff and then about a year into it he's like hey uh, why don't you just come on full time because i really want to go more, for, more forward with this tech and kind of change a little bit of the industry and he's like why don't you just do the tech portion of it and kind of take over accounting I'm like, sure, whatever. I'm still going to school. Let's let's do it type thing. Let's join up. Let's do it. And so when I joined on, we had about 100 properties. And then kind of just grew from there. Uh, and about five or six years later, sitting around 1,500 properties and kind of overseeing the technology and accounting and, and uh, operations. And so and uh, that's that's how we started, you know. So just kind of a, a friend, you know, two people living with their in-laws across the street, basically, starting a company. And So pretty early in your, I mean, really, yeah. this was like the thing that you your yeah. first professional experience. Pretty much it was GoDaddy was like my GoDaddy was like my forte into like corporate role. And okay. I did real estate before that I was young. My dad's uh, been a broker forever. And so I had my license when I was 18, you know, my first rental when I was 18 and, and kind of knew the industry awesome. of real estate. And so I was a realtor, not really working, you know, like all realtors in 2009 and then, uh, you know, <laughs> just doing the thing and going to school. So yeah, it was kind of like my real first big leap, you know, GoDaddy, GoDaddy was easy, just tech job, and so kind of like a you know a little small peon worker, and then this is my first forte actually doing a business entrepreneurial. So am I hearing a six year run going from a hundred to fifteen hundred? Yeah, it's about five to six, and so it was it was kind of the golden era, right? Because uh, we were the first really kind of do uh, paid ads in our area, and so it was pretty easy to grow. And we had a great sales person that was really bought in, kind of like a partner in the company, and so it was. It was just like uh, leads were just flowing and he was just knocking out deals. And so, and just trying to keep up with the technology and processes. And, but man, back in the day, no one was doing paid ads. So it was, you know, like 20 bucks mm. a lead, mm. you know, so it was a hundred dollars a conversion. Mm. So luckily, uh, Taylor, who was the owner of OnQ, he was like, well, if I put a hundred bucks in, I get a thousand dollars for revenue a year. Let's put 200 in. You know, he just kept up in the marketing. And so we were spending tons of money on marketing, but getting the return. So he found that diminished return and, 
and everybody else was like, are we, is this real? Like, I don't know, like, is this going to fade? Because it was, it was crazy that paid ads were working so well, and then eventually people caught on. But yeah, so that kind of uh, was kind of an explosion, my, my introduction. We thought it was kind of normal, to be honest. Like, oh, this is just, yeah. this is growth, you wow. know? All right, we didn't know we're kind of a little bit different in that, that market until you finally talk to other people and realize, oh, okay, you're struggling to grow, and we want to let out of the bag that paid ads is working. <laughs> you know? I was like, oh, that's, sorry, you're not growing so much. We'll talk to you later. You know, we're going to go put some more money in paid ads. So. That totally lines up with my same experience in that same area where fundamentally there was a lack of awareness of the mm, opportunity yeah. that paid represented. And there was a small number of people that went in early, hard and got the metaphor of if I put a dollar in and two dollars comes out, I might as well keep putting more dollars yeah. in the machine. Yeah. Doesn't last forever, but mm. a great opportunity for those that were able to really take advantage of it in the time. At the end of that run, at the end of that five or six year run, what was next? So uh, when it came out to that, we I kind of wanted to go bigger. But, you know, I come from tech background. I think, you know, I want to be like that awesome, huge company type thing. And uh, partner didn't really want to do that. And so he kind of want to stay local. And so like, OK, well, let's let's split off, you know, and I'll do join up with another guy and we'll go national and you kind of stay here and do your thing. And um, a little disagreements here and there, you know. So so I split off and joined up with uh, Jacob Ash, another partner. And we created what's called RentVest. Um, and I co-founded to be the CEO and that was uh, around 2015, 2016. And, uh, he, we had about 450 properties to start with. And then over the next three years, we expanded to, you know, different markets and grew to 4,000 doors, single family homes. Um, and just kind of did repeat the paybook. You still do paid ads and use some other marketing techniques and just try to find that niche that no one was doing. Um, and then we opened up 13 markets in that time. So it was a little crazy. It was a three year period, three year period. Yeah. Went so, from 500 to 4,000. Yeah. About 400, 4,000. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So let's walk through our paces. Then. Okay. You mentioned that the digital marketing was the paid ads was what was effective <clears throat> in the beginning. Were you just running the, the, the same playbook? Pretty much, you know, pretty much, you know, we had some little bit difference. Uh, we did a little bit more Facebook and SEO, we tried some new things, but be honest, like half of that was merger and acquisitions. Uh, yeah. And then half of that was just, you know, organic growth and marketing through, you know, growth through marketing. And so paid ads were working. So it was easy to expand in another market. That was usually our first motion. And so our goal was like, let's land and expand. And we know we can put a certain amount of money in and get a return. Right. And so we're the f type, we're not taking any money out of the company. So let's go ahead and just use all that towards growth. And so we landed, expanded pretty quickly and had uh, really a minimal footprint in the market and then just did paid ads and then our supplement, you know, try to get the Vesper thing going, try to get Facebook going and stuff like that. And then SEO, SEO took a little bit, obviously in each market. So that didn't really fully fledged out until, you know, we actually, you know, sold and emerged with mines. And so we didn't have that full playbook open there, but yeah, paid ads is the, the initial driver for that, you know, and different mechanisms, but but definitely uh, it was easy, right? It's rinse and repeat. You know, you know how much money you're gonna put in, how much you can get back basically per market. It's pretty easy. And it was also pretty easy to test it. You know, we throw out two to three grand before we're in the market to test it and see our return and realize, okay, this is a viable market. Like Atlanta, I remember we, we put two grand in and you know, we were, we're getting like 60 leads or something crazy. We just got tons of leads in Atlanta. So like, okay, let's, we're going to Atlanta, I guess. You know, that was kind of a, we tested three markets at the same time and realized, Atlanta is the greatest for paid ads. So that's going to be the easiest, lowest barrier of entry for us. So let's go to Atlanta and we expand Atlanta and tons of leads were flowing in and do the same thing with Dallas and, and just kind of went from there. And then some of it was more directed like that. We kind of tested the market and moved in. And some of it's like, hey, this acquisition came up. Would this be a good market for us? And can we actually, you know, uh, facilitate some more uh, marketing around it and growth around it? And so it's kind of crazy. I don't know. I think we, we had no idea what we we're doing and and just figured it out and 
and it worked right. And so it was a little, little nuts, you know. So your expansion was driven by organic acquisition and where you, where you felt that you were going to get more traction. That makes yeah. sense. You just you used the word easy a second ago. <clears throat> That's not a word that comes to mind for me for describing what you're talking about. No, I don't, I don't think, think it's easy. Yeah, I don't sorry. think most <laughs> folks relate to it as easy. What I think about, Ben, is the tension that operators feel between growth and ops. Yeah. The inevitable tension that typically results in growth taking a backseat to ops. Yeah. How did you think about and relate to that tension? And I'm, I'm also curious about the co-founder dynamic. Typically, there's one co-founder that's more, more focused on growth, another that's more focused on operations. What was that interplay and that dance like for you guys? Yeah, let me start from the top, you know, so so Jacob, my partner, he was more a uh, high level strategy and big, big time negotiator type thing. And so he was he was the push forward of, hey, let's have a motion. We can do it. Let's expand. And I kind of took care of the, you know, the marketing and growth and the operations behind it, facilitate that. Um, but to, for us, we kind of split it up like I had a great opera, great opera, Travis Bowling. Amazing. Right. You know, he was able to control a lot of our operations and help build some of that systems with us. And I can throw in some little bit of things I knew. But he was able to control that. Um, and then we kind of had to expand as we expanded more markets. I brought on another person, Devin Gillespie, who actually handled the other markets besides what Travis did. And so there was always that yin and yang, that push and pull of, of, of growth to operations like you're talking about. How we minimized that was we were very lean in these markets. We usually had one or two people in a market when we expanded. And they became everything. They were the sales agent and the property manager, uh, the client facing property manager, I'd say. We did a lot of back office and centralized things. Mm. And so, and then we also, so they were it. They were the, they, they signed a door, they managed the door basically. So they had to deal with the owner. And, and if they sold something they shouldn't have done or over promised, they dealt with it. Um, and we kind of aligned that with more of profit sharing as well to allow them, mm. hey, it's like your own business. It sounds portfolio-ish. It's portfolio management with a centralized back office. Mm. So they didn't do any of the, you know, the, the mundane work, but they definitely did all the communication. Um, and then also the, the higher maintenance, they would actually like the rent readies and stuff mm -hmm. like that they would do. Um, and so we didn't fully fledge that out with the market, but we knew, hey, we can get into a market if we run this type of model because we can centralize as much as we can back office and throw some tech behind it. And then they can worry about the customer experience and really focus in on that full, you know, end-to-end um, -end process of, hey, let me help you buy the property, renovate it, and manage it. And so that's what we kind of wanted to really get into. And so we thought with portfolio management, that really works well, as long as they're not stuck doing the paper pushing stuff that gets in the way of the real high-level conversations and interactions. And so we try to minimize those, the, the back office, so they can focus on those high-level acquisitions or, or conversations um, but we also needed them to be motivated to grow the portfolio and kind of share in that expense of growth. And so their upside was huge, but at the beginning they weren't making tons of money. We'd stipend them and help make sure they're making a decent living, good living, but their upside was huge because they had this revenue share. And so we got these people that are more business oriented, but didn't know exactly how to grow their business, but they're great communicators. They're, they're great with people, great with kind of organizing people other people, you know, but necessarily didn't know how the tools would work or how to actually process this. And so we kind of lucked out. We got a, a couple good rock stars we were able to build around and, and figure it out. And then once we got a big enough footprint in the, the market, it was easier to kind of get the traditional model going after that. And they became like the team lead of the market while we had these other traditional property managers underneath and, you know, still centralized everything we could. Were these agents, were these PMs? Who, what was the profile of there, them? They're definitely, uh, you know, we call them more of the, they're more, I would say they're more agents than PM. They definitely had property management experience, but they're more of the sales people. You know, they definitely lean towards more of the sales side. 
which is okay for us because we can do all the backside and hey, you know, and we have our processes through tech. So it's hard for them to kind of mess up or make a mistake on the operations Mm -hmm. where we would catch that and we kind of guide them through the process. And really our goal was like, we didn't really get to this full fledged, but it was more about, let's just make sure we do everything. And then we send them these touch points of decisions. Okay. What do you want to set the rent price to? You set the rent price. That's great. We'll figure out everything else, how the marketing and everything else goes, you know? And so we kind of try to these, these little touch points and endpoints for them to, to kind of focus on. Uh, wasn't fully fledged there. They were still doing like inspections and some low level tasks that we didn't really want them to be doing, but we didn't have necessarily a partner in that space to go and do inspections for us at the time. Now there's definitely great vendors for that. Mm. And, and so, and then once we got enough, um, density, it was easy to hire an inspector that did a lot of the pictures and inspections and other stuff. So we were able to take more off of them, uh, as we got along and more density we got, but we, our goal was if we're going to expand in all these markets, we need low overhead. And because we're just cash flow and this, this business was based on cash flow. There's no money invested into it. It was all cash flow. So me, me and my partner never invested in anything. We put everything back in the money. Everything that came in came back to the business. But other than that, we had a cash flow, uh, you know, make sure we expand with our cash flow. So we had to keep the expenses down. And I think, you know, in a year we expanded to seven markets and it was kind of marketing. You know, we're, we're paying five to 10 grand in each market for we're marketing itself. So we had a, we knew our marketing expenses were always going to be higher than our labor expenses because um, we want to make density as fast as we could. One for us, but also for the portfolio manager to start making more of that revenue share. So you said five to 10 grand in, in uh, monthly spend? Yeah, marketing. Yeah, we, we definitely, depends on the market. You know, Atlanta was five grand and you got tons of leads. D- Dallas is a little bit more expensive. You know, Reno was for some reason super cheap. You know, it just depends on the market. The, you know, the competition and how expensive those ads were. And then obviously our emotion behind the scenes was kind of more static with the SEO and the other stuff. And Facebook was kind of pretty similar across all, all markets. Were you managing all this marketing internally? Or did you work with any agency so, partners? Uh, at first I kind of set up the, the processes and did it myself. And then I, we hired a company to help us and, and maintain all those markets and had a little bit of a team behind us with the international team and, and doing it. And so that was, they're a great partner, you know, that helped us with that. They kind of took it to the next level because they were, they were really good at AB testing and really getting into the detail. Optimization where me, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm 90% there. I'm good. I have other stuff I can I can worry about. You know, once I set it up and check on it once a month type thing was not flying very well with me and managing my people. So so that partner turned out to be really, really life-saving for us, actually, and, and control it. And we just kind of trusted them and handed it over, and they did a great job. It was almost they had complete ownership, to be honest, at the very end. And uh, it's happened to be my brother's company, so I trust them more. Um, but definitely, you know, it was great. They would come back to me maybe once a month, months, twice a month, and we say, hey, this is what's going on, and we want to try this. Do you want to try anything else? And, and we just let them do it, and it worked out really well. It was kind of a symbiotic relationship that worked well. What did you learn about centralization in this first iteration? The idea of centralization would be, it, it, it ranges from, we're going to do everything in the back office. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have the, the lowest <clears throat> paid, least qualified folks on the ground, maybe no folks on the ground, to a little bit. So there's like a nexus of how much you choose and then the way that you approach it. What, what did you find was amazing and really effective at centralizing? What did you try that didn't work? And what was your overall kind of philosophical approach there? You know, I think, uh, and I think this is biased because of, of wh- who I am and what I love. I felt like we needed to have the technology played a big, big role in this. 
right? I feel like you can centralize as much as you want with processes and people, but the technology really made it so it's really can be remote. And so we, we obviously were 100% digital, went all in on the tech side to really make sure the processes, you, you really almost couldn't mess it up because the process guides you through the process. Um, process, that's a lot of words. Um, but even with the, our internal team, but the external clients and customers as well, you have to kind of guide them to work within your processes. So we needed to do some things on that. But definitely for us is, you know, we didn't actually, the remote team members were not actually overseas. Our centralized team um, were US based, to be honest. And we found those most effectively, uh, most effective just because of the the workload. So we'd, we'd kind of, we'd still bucket into departmentalized, right? Like, hey, someone's over, you know, payables and receivables, kind of accounting function, you're over whatever utilities, you're over just admin work of putting the property into the system and leasing the system. Um, but we had to give more ownership, I felt like, of the of the role and how they execute it. And then, okay, you got more um, ownership of the process. Let's build the tech around you to, to formulate that. And so early on, we, we had to get a little bit of rock stars in the centralized team because we built our processes around them. Mm. But I felt like they bought in a lot easier because they were part of the creation of this mm-hmm. tech and to help them. And what they like, what do you want on this? What do you want to do right here? What do you want this button to do? And so that was key for us is wasn't a top down. Here's the process. Go execute it. And here's all the instructions so you can't mess it up. Um, it was more they were a little bit more critical thinking. They thought outside the box. And so that, I think, really propelled us to be more effective with our centralized team. And then eventually, you know, remote team members where you can do a little bit more outside the box a little bit, or outside of, of the U.S. when I feel like you have a little bit more uh, standardized process and vetted process. But um, I don't know. I think. I don't think we, uh, we kind of lucked out to be honest, I feel like as well, we got some good team members. Like I look back, I'm like, you know what, for what they were doing, we, you know, for 4,000 doors, we had 35 employees total and we had 13 markets. So we had a really lean team. Um, part of that, some of these property managers only had 50 doors at the beginning too, cause they're also expanding. And I feel like looking back, I'm like, was it the tech? Was it the processes? What it, was it the leadership? And I think it was just the people in general. We just, somehow we lucked out and found good people and we were able to cycle through good people. And I'm like, let our kind of culture, I'm not a good culture guy. No, be honest, Travis, he, he wasn't like a, an, a charismatic dynamic person per se at the front, you know, but when you really got to know him, he was a super good dude and people loved him. Same thing with Devin, who are kind of our frontline leaders, right? Of them, these, these markets, not frontline, but leaders of these markets over, you know, the director level. And they just found good people that resonated with us. And I think that business entrepreneurial type mentality was, was through, sown through all of our, uh, our company. And so I, I think we just lucked out too, man. I don't know if that's a good answer. I don't know how to, I'm like, I don't know how to repeat that. Like I was talking to Mark the other day about, I don't know how, if we could repeat what we did with RentVest. I think timing, it wasn't like we we're the super smart dudes. I mean, look at us, you know, we're not, we just kind of figured out, we had no business expanding and do what we we're doing. And yet it worked out. And I think it's, it's all, to, we just lucked out with people a lot too. Obviously there's some tech and vision behind that. Um, so I don't, there's not a lot of tidbits there. Sorry, Jordan. I don't know, man. I'm like, I don't know if I have anything to answer your question with. Well, one of the things that makes me think about is dealing with exceptions, the, the yeah. potentially compounding complexity that comes from managing different asset classes, different markets, different regulatory environments. As you went from one to how many markets was it in the end? 13. From one to 13, I get that you would want to go to markets where you feel like there's going to be marketing headwinds. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there are other factors such as regulation, et cetera. Yeah. What did you learn? What were your takeaways on geography and the practicality of expanding into any market where there's leads? No, to, to be honest, you know, besides staying away from the West Coast and the East Coast, uh, the 
there wasn't a lot of difference in the regulations, you know, to be honest, like there's, it's very similar. Stay in uh, the middle. Stay in the middle. Yeah. We stay in the smile states like everybody else. Um, you know, in just, a, a, we stayed away from what well, we did go to Oregon, which is hard, <laughs> really regulated. That's even regulated per district sometimes. But to be honest, we had that team leader in place to make sure you catch exceptions. And so they were kind of be our expert knowledge person. And we were able to find that talent, right? Because they have a huge upside. It's like their own business. And usually they were experienced property managers or realtors, at least knew something or high level intelligent people that could actually learn the laws and regulations. And sometimes that bit us in the butt a little bit, you know, because it's so hard to figure out the regulations and uh, Oregon, especially, right. You know, you can have damages up to twice the month rent if you send the wrong notice. So some things are hard like that, but to be honest, it's a five day or three day notice, or we need a lawyer to send this notice, or we don't need a lawyer to send that notice. Um, with the tech, you can kind of build out to make sure the processors are specific to the region. And so we relied on the team leader to figure it out. And then me, Devin and Travis would obviously research some things, but the core functionality of property management, I mean, 95% of the time, it's it's the same process, right? It might send it on different days or have a different word or verbiage. You're still sending a notice when they don't pay rent, right? You're still sending them to courts when they're when you're, you need a victim and get a writ. Um, it's just how I submit that to the court. Yeah, it's a little bit of a problem. Well, then if those exceptions happen, we would have the team leader figure that out or help the assistant. They get on a call and say, actually, to, to actually take this person in this uh, city, we need to get it written. You have to go do this. I have to go with the, actually just hand this over, go get the constable. They have to do different processes there. But we relied on that team leader to do that. And our systems was capable enough to say, I think even our back office team say, hey, oh, I know this is in Portland. This is a different process. I know the system tells me this certain process, but then when I get to this point, I have to hand it over and communicate with the team lead. And I think there was a little bit more of a, a relationship, you know, more of that, like that triangle or uh, triangle kind of uh, executive um, management style where that team leader is on top and the assistant was there. And they always had the same kind of account man. We call them account managers, the admin back office that admin might handle five different markets or six different markets, but they always had that same person to communicate with. And so I think sometimes people go all in and say, it has to be all tech. Everything has to be this workflow and you have 50,000, you know, 50 different, not thousand, but 50 different, you know, splinters of this tech and workflow systems, which is great, right? Like lead simple, you can build those processes out and kind of put some filters and stuff like that. And for us, we're like, well, let's do as much as we can, but not without, why would we build this one-off that happens maybe 0.05% mm -hmm. of the time. Mm -hmm. Let's just have the people handle that. And so mm -hmm. that's what we kind of philosophy was. Judgment. Yeah. And, the, and then they can critical think, right? And so everybody could critical think. Our account manager can critical think. Our account manager can give refunds they wanted to. We had that philosophy of make the customer right and make the process right. And you can free flow. And we're not going to, you know, we had metrics and stuff, but we knew, understood some markets like Portland, it was hard to get those metrics because we knew literally every city was different and it's hard to kind of like, we can't measure you on, oh, it should have been seven days to do this notice and it took you nine days. We just had to remember and, and conceptually think, we know there's there's difference and we trust you as long as you're performing right and there's other KPIs and your customer service and your CSATs are up, we understand um, that we can have some leeway there. So people really was the key for us, I think, in, in critical thinking that. So you've built out a fairly advanced machine and scaled to a decent size and then you exit. Yeah. And you exit to a tech company and you've already built tech in-house. That's interesting. Yeah. Tell me how you arrived at that conclusion. You know, uh, to, to be honest, is uh, we heard, uh, I think it was Doug Brine, the, the CEO of Mind, was doing a podcast. I can't remember whose podcast it was. And when, on that podcast, I was as I was listening to it, they were executing everything that we wanted to execute. Like they were a step above us. Like it was down to even like some cool programs when we learned more about them. 
about what they're doing for their employees and how they're doing it and the tech they're building. Um, they, we felt like they were just doing it at a different scale than we were. And like, and so really, uh, kind of attracted us to them and saying, Hey, you know what, on the outside, they are trying to do everything we can, but they also have the resources already established with the, the venture capitalist backing and, you know, some other motions of the team members and, re- and other resources that they have. And so that was more of a play of like, not a give up, but a saying, you know what, they're at another level. How can we be part of that another level? And so when they approached us, you know, to be honest, we, we knew Vince, who was their kind of their, their guy to help with the, the, the MNA. And we knew him at the conferences and he was more of a friend. He never talked about acquisition once with us. And then when I heard that podcast, I was like, maybe we should talk to Vince and, and see what they're doing and how we can kind of figure out and work together. So I was definitely enamored with what they were doing. And because uh, tech is expensive, mm-hmm. it's super expensive. I was doing a lot. I actually, you know, pretty much did 90% of our tech in-house. It was, was me. And I'm not that great of a programmer at all. I was just using platforms. And, and so I knew my limitations. And, you know, I, I didn't want to, if I had custom code, I'd have to one off with these 1099 people. And so that definitely was, hey, I can kind of be really a part of a big tech platform and do uh, what I want to do and achieve what I want to do without actually having to, 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 to relay my resources and hopefully multiply what we're doing. And so, so when they came and, and, you know, talked about mergers, like, okay, this is, this might be a good thing. So we, we, we drank the Kool-Aid and, and believed hundred percent what mine's doing, you know, uh, and great talent. I mean, it was amazing. The talent that's, that's at mind and the resources and, and it felt like just another level that we, we couldn't achieve. Let's talk about the integration piece. <clears throat> there's always the promise on the front side. There's the divisions, the and then there's the actual integration. Yeah. How did the integration of your 4,000-plus units go? You know, I think it's always a rocky integration. You know, they had about 4,000 at the time. We had 4,000. They had a lot of multifamily. And so when we came on, the shift was mine shifted to more single-family. And so the platform was kind of built for more multifamily. And, and so we had a we had a lot of changes that we needed to be able to be felt like we're up to par, but what was great about them is, so we had a game plan. Hey, we kind of together collectively, we can choose when we're going to integrate our markets and do that. So we kind of started integrating markets slowly. We did Arizona first, which is our primary market. Um, And that was, I think that was like eight months after we actually merged with mine or, you know, we call mine just sold. Um, And so it took a little bit of time, but definitely one thing that really held it together is they had one key employee, uh, Ian, who actually ran the integrations and super detailed. And so they had a whole team, right? Ian led, I don't know, it was probably like 15 people came down to our Arizona office and helped us with the integration. And, and then we had, we obviously had tech people in charge of the program. You know, I met with the program managers, I met with the, you know, the VP of tech and the CTO. And so we were able to kind of customize before we actually got to the point of integration. So tech piece is one that, that would had to be, Hey, we have to make sure we maintain this customer experience for our clients was, was our goal. And so once we met that, the next piece was integrating the team into the processes and figuring that out. And luckily, we had such a great team that our our team integrated everywhere. And 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 there are a lot of people are, are still there and actually have been promoted and running a lot of departments. And I felt like it was a more of a testament to our team to integrate. So it was definitely a transition from we lost a couple key property managers, obviously, and people that felt like they're because we had to change the program a little bit, right? Like we were running these. It's almost like your own business. And now, hey, you're part of this big conglomerate. Mm-hmm. We're still going to hold true to that. But now they're actually lying on different marketing and different things. And we're going to put more people in your market now. And and so we couldn't keep some of those promises we wanted. But uh, and I would say no integration is easy. We went through, you know, we bought 13 companies and, and with RentVest. And the, the, every integration was hard. It was never easy. Mine, I felt, was a little different for me because also I, I was able to get a little bit more of a 
influential position, I guess. Like I met my needs, right? I was able to help with the tech and I still ran operations. I was still around property management and maintenance. And so I felt like I was still connected. And but then I also had the tech piece and then I also had a marketing team, right? Where I didn't have to, I did the market. We still managed our marketing for about a year or about eight months till we integrated. But other than that, I'm like, it was a little bit of easier transition. I feel like for me than definitely the team, right? You know, um, uh, it was just, uh, I had to, I kind of felt my need of, okay, I can play bigger and be less, less hands-on. So, but I don't know, which I can say integration was easy. It was still harder than hell. And, and, and corporate mentality, you know, even though mine's pretty, pretty open, there's still corporate mentality and still politics. And, and I don't do well with that. Obviously I don't, I don't show well, you know, and never allowed in the boardroom. That's for sure. Ever again, Doug will never let me in the boardroom. <laughs> and so <laughs> I just don't play well. You know, I'm like, I'm just, uh, I say crap too much or I say, you know, I'm not professional enough to, you know, polished enough to, to say it like it is. Yeah. I'm just like, let's just get stuff done and, and let's get some cash going. And they're, they're like, no, it's not about cash. It's about, you know, you know, there's other more, more important things for them than actually cash flowing. Right. And I was in my heart, I was like, oh, it's always about cash flow. And so it was a hard mentality to change. So you've had a front row seat to a lot of the M&A activity in the industry over the last couple of years. Let's say the last four years. There's been a really strong cycle of a lot of activity, a lot of hype, a lot of concern about disruption, a lot of change. Yeah. What's your take and your perspective on what's shifted in that landscape? Some aspects of the thesis had to have settled. Other things are still playing out with PropTech. What do you, what's your take on that? I still think that consolidation is going to be a, a, a powerful movement continuing going forward. And I, you know, it's hard just, I think all these companies is it's, it's hard as a mom and pop now to almost compete with these big companies, unless the vendors and people help us, right. Compete with these, these big tech consolidation. Cause as you consolidate, once you get certain scale and density, you can do things more than you can as a mom and pop. I can't, I, you know, even at RentVest, we're 4,000 doors. I couldn't go all in and build tech, you know, hundred percent tech. It was too expensive. It wasn't worth our return. Right. We're not going to go replace a property or a building or that folio. This doesn't make sense at all. But with mine, it does make sense because they're going for 100,000 units, a million units, right? Um, and as a mom and pop, you know where you can clear that, right? Like it's, it's, you almost can almost get a VA and a remote team member, but then think of the person that mind has 50 of those for, you know, 15,000 doors. That remote team member is more effective because they have more doors, they cost less per door. Whereas if I have 200 doors, I hire two VAs, my cost per one is, is higher, right? And so, I think that's a, a little bit of a, a shift where I feel like there's still going to be a need of consolidation. One, I also feel like uh, we are a detriment to ourselves of, of our industry is we, we're behind the times sometimes and we don't adapt and, and adapt new processes and customer experience items. And so, but I feel like the, the, what's changed, I feel like in the last two or three years is the vendor strength. Like, you know, perfect example of your companies coming in and, and really helping these property managers be more sophisticated, compete with these big, log, large platforms, right? Like the pure in mind that are going to come in. And so I think the comp it's going to be that divide, right? We're going to have people, if they adopt and use the technology and vendors that we have, are going to be able to compete just as much as the big players, right? They definitely, I feel like mine has the advantage and pure have the advantage and everyone else has the advantage because they can actually build the processes directly for their company at scale. Whereas we're going to use vendors that have to be a little bit more vanilla with customization. So you still have to have a little bit of effort on your side. But if we can actually continually get these great vendors and boosting us and we can have the same product offering and same efficiencies almost as these big companies, the only value they have is either that they have money for marketing spend or they have the, you know, the efficiency of, of density. But I think we're, we're, we're going to kind of be at par, but I still feel like a lot of companies are not taking advantage of our vendors and those ones are going to still going to eventually be consolidated out, you know, I mean, it's just, it's hard to compete with someone coming in and saying, I'm going to charge you 50 bucks a month. And this guy over here, my mom and pop's charging 200 bucks. 
and the mom and pop has less of a product and customer experience than these big tech companies will have. You know, it's going to have to be super personal uh, to compete with them. But I don't know if that answered your question, Jordan. I kind of went off on a tangent there. Sorry. Well, so un unbelievably, this story is still not actually at its conclusion. You then started another property management <laughs> company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, uh, uh, unbelievably, tell us about that leg. Yeah. So that was, uh, so when I, when I left mind, I was there for, for two and a half years. I think it ran its course. And I think obviously the leadership ran its course with me. Uh, but it was more like, I, I like being an entrepreneur. I like being an owner. I like having control. And so an opportunity came up with my, again, my business partner, Jacob Ash, again, come up with this business opportunity. He's like, Hey, we got this another company. Let's do it again. Let's do RentFest 2.0 and let's, let's go down and do it. And so we jumped in and said, let's, let's do it. Um, and so we, we bought a company in Southern Arizona and started it up again. Uh, and then quickly realized, uh, this is a lot of work. Apparently <laughs> to start at the beginning again was just, uh, uh, kind of eye-opening of like, I don't know if your, my heart was in it. I don't think Jacob's heart was in it as well. The fourth time. Yeah. We just, it was just, uh, we wanted it to be at 4,000 doors already. Right. Like when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? And, um, we kind of overlooked some things, right. We're just like, well, it's just whatever. It'll fix itself in time. We don't care. You know, let's just, let's just keep pushing forward because we want bigger and better things. So we, I was especially attracted to things that would affect us for our scale at 4,000 doors or 10,000 doors. When really we should have been focused on how can we get an extra two doors or more efficient with our team member here or get the right team member. Right. Uh, and so those obviously led some, some issues, but, but to be honest, it was just the heart was in it. And so we decided to sell after a year. So after a year came up, sorry, this is uh, we're not going to do this. Let's be honest with ourselves. And we had a real conversation with each other. And I think we both came to the same conclusion. We're, we're just not into it. Um, and I think the, here's our options. We had another company. We had a few other companies we could buy and kind of like do the thing again and be around a thousand units and integrate again. And we're like, should we, so we're going to do that path or are we just going to exit? And we decided to exit, you know, Jacob had, you know, he has, he has tons of other stuff going on. And, and, and I felt like I kind of wanted to do something else. And so we decided to sell, you know, got Everness came knocking again and ever not knocking again, but Everness, you know, good friends with Matthew. And so we decided, Hey, let's, let's make sure one is we don't need to necessarily have the highest profit or return on this one. We definitely made money, but it was more about let's get the right people. Let's be owe it to the team members to get to the right person that we think is going to be the most successful for them. We thought Everness would be the most successful for them. Um, and we love those guys and understood their culture. And so that's where it came about to it. So it was definitely a good experience for us and it made some money, uh, just simple efficiency gains and some revenue ads um, with some, some great vendors. How big was that portfolio when you bought it and how big when you sold it? So we lost about, uh, so when we bought it, it was about 350, and he went down to about 300 or, you know, right around there. And we lost the first in the first 60 days. Um, definitely it was, it was an older portfolio. Mm. And so we knew we we're going to have some churn right away. And then uh, we had one property manager quit, which wasn't a big deal. We, 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 you know, that wasn't a, they didn't take many owners with them, but definitely. So it lost a little bit, but definitely the revenue uh, stayed up. And, and so it was kind of a, a value add almost losing some of those doors and some of those owners. And also we wouldn't do custom. They were doing some customization things that, we wouldn't do, um, you know, they're, they were picking up groceries or picking up items for their, their house. And like, it was just really random stuff. You're just like, you guys were too far into the personalization. Mm. And so we stopped that. And that's when the owners like, well, we want more of a personal service and, and, and left. And it was fine. Great split. Obviously we had to crawl back and, and the seller knew what we were coming in. We were totally upfront with the seller and knowing, Hey, we're, we have a playbook. Playbooks worked for us. We're going to use the playbook. We're going to lose some owners and they're fine with it, you know, and it worked out. So, you know, I don't know if it always works hundred percent buyer and sellers are, loving each other at the end, but, sure. but I think for how it went, it was, it was kind of what we expected and what they expected. Um, I think the thing we didn't unexpected was our feelings and our passion.
So that brings us to today. What are you yeah. doing now? So I do, uh, I do consulting for like, you know, property management companies and marketing. I just kind of do it on the side just to people I really know and, and like and, and feel like I can add some value. And then I joined up actually with Mark Brower. Uh, Previous just, guest? Yeah, yeah. Mark, yeah. Amazing dude. And, and so very intelligent and has a lot of great goings. And uh, his company's doing super well. And so we've kind of talked for a little bit, you know, known each other for a little bit. Um, and just really impressed with where his motion was going and what he brings and really focused on the customer experience which is kind of unique in our industry, to be honest, to really focus hyper in on the customer experience mm -hmm. and actually believes it. And not just because he feels like it's going to make him more money, make the best company because he wants to take care of clients. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of new. <laughs> you know, it's, novel. It's novel. It's, let's try this. And so, uh, so the thing is like kind of like uh, it's like part time. So I'm doing my own thing part time and then I'm kind of with him. And really what we're trying to do is figure out like how can we make the best property management company possible for the client? And still make money, still be efficient, and still be, have great team members. But really, let's build an experience where they they can't say no, right? We, we just be, blow everybody out of the water and see if it's achievable. You know, we got a long way to go. He's really high level, right? His company's really high level. I'm like, hey, can we achieve this? Can we do this and really make it profitable? Because, you know, the higher the service, usually the more mm -hmm. cost it is. And so more our game plan is like, hey, what can I value add? Mark's already doing awesome and great. I don't know if I can add a lot, but I can add certain areas of technology and stuff that I've done and experience. And let's see where we go. And so what's cool about it is Mark handles all the people and does all the, the real work. And, you know, I can definitely sit in my back, my back office and do the little tech stuff that I want to do and and really more strategy level. And so I think it's a very good relationship, you know, where I don't necessarily have to be so passionate and so with the people and really the motivator, which I am not very good at and don't really enjoy, I can sit in my back office and tinker with my Excel spreadsheets or whatever. And he can do his, you know, I can nerd out and, and it doesn't affect the company because he can still be the motivator and the visionary and the strategist on the, on the top level. And so we'll see, you know, we're, we're still at the very beginning of this, you know, it's only been about a month, month and a half and, but we're super, I'm super excited. I don't know if he's super excited. <laughs> I love hearing, I love hearing about that, that partnership. Um, I can see the synergy there. I'd love to end it here. I'd love to get your guidance and feedback for somebody that is looking to use a suite of retail off the shelf products to get disproportionate value. You've obviously hand coded by yourself. That's amazing. For the 99% of the rest of the market that doesn't have that background, that isn't gonna be doing that. What guidance and advice do you have for the approach for taking these off the shelf pieces of software and constructing it together to something that adds up to a lot of leverage. Yeah. I think right now, I think it's a golden time for us to be involved because it's more integration than there's ever been. Right. You know, more products or products are integrating with even Zapier, you know, like lead simple integrates with Zapier, which can open up a lot of different pro products talking to each other. Meld is getting more integrated, the app folio, the buildiums, the property wares, the yardies are integrating more rent managers, you know? And so definitely, use the vendors like, like i'm the, my own worst enemy i know we talk about this every time i see you almost it's like i build my own stuff when i shouldn't like why didn't i just use lead simple you know when you guys had your processes you know i should just take it over you know, or your lead nurturing crm or why don't you use you know other tools out there property mail rather than build my own because you shouldn't cost it's not cost effective and so my suggestions use these good vendors like second nature there's there's, there's great vendors there's so many out there steady. There's tons of vendors out there. That's you're probably doing what you want to do. It might not be exact, but it's good enough to that experience that can add value to you, your company and to your clients. And so my goal is I still believe in a data warehouse. I still believe you need to have a centralized truth of data that can communicate with all your other pieces of products. So that's, that's a piece that's missing still. I feel like that we need a product that can do that, you know, and I think like the folios and the buildings are trying to do that. 
Um, but I still feel like it's not quite. Are, are they? That's interesting. I would not say that they're trying. I think because do they're that. doing it through the platform. So they're doing it through the platform integration where Appfolio is still the sense of truth, right? Like I can bring on a different vendor, but it's still pushing and pulling from Appfolio, and then it's sent into one platform, and then it's in, or one vendor, and then it's sent into another vendor, and the vendors are talking back to Appfolio. The vendors aren't talking to each other yet. Well, they're not talking to something central. So when you say a data platform, are you talking like ETL, something that is fundamentally separate from any system of engagement that you use? I think so. I think so because I feel like you you. They need something that can communicate with all, right, and make it easier. And so, and you want the data integrity. Um, whereas, well, maybe because I don't trust the other vendors. Like, I don't want to put no. I mean, like, I don't want to put all my data in one vendor. What if a vendor changes something, and then you are forced to cost to change with them, right? And so, like, Salesforce, Force.com was kind of the platform I always used, right? Yeah. Well, once they make a change, like they changed where we couldn't have access to external guest access user permissions. It changed our whole business model a little bit, not business model, but it changed our whole offering a little bit mm. where, oh crap, I, I, you know, but I had to put the authentication in. I had to add a user security piece that cost me more now, you know, which was, it's a smart move and we knew it was heading there, but, but it affected our approach and I had to completely change and scramble. Mm. Um, and look, luckily Salesforce gives you three months ahead of time to kind of prepare for these things. Some of these vendors aren't as sophisticated or big enough to even do this. And so when they make a change, it could break your system. And so if I have that data warehouse, that data integrity, you can actually push and pull from there. You can control it more. Um, also, I love metrics and KPIs, right? And so if you have the data, you can actually pull and, and do some more things with that. And so um, I don't know if that answer is really what you're going for, but I feel like there, there needs to be that. But I, I feel like it, that's okay. Right now, for what you're looking for, for a person that has 400 doors, you don't need a data warehouse. You need good vendors. Sign up with them. If you can't figure it out, don't give up. I feel like some people get daunted, like, man, this this is hard. I have to build out all these, you know, automations or processes. Like, hire someone, pay the fifteen hundred to two grand for someone to integrate for you. Because once they set it up, it's you can kind of get the knowledge enough to do it. Or what I like to do is always do what do we, like uh, I'd very started with. Find a tech guy and have him do your accounts receivable and payable, and they can do tech plus your accounting a little bit. All I don't know if computer programming, we the accounting we took three years of the same classes basically. The fourth and fifth years are different if you have had a five year degree, but the, the fifth, fourth and fifth years are really different. But other than that, accountants take programming classes, programmers take accounting classes because they're very similar in what they need in theories. And so find someone like that that can kind of help you with that, that you can still uh, offset some of that labor with some day to day stuff. It's not, doesn't make sense to hire an IT guy for 400 doors, right? But if you can find another role for them that they're passionate about IT, they can help you integrate. I think you should pay the, the hundred thousand dollar to get the integrator because I feel like if you can integrate and have ten great vendor softwares come into your system, it's going to pay dividends way more than what that person's worth. But I'm not most people, right? And I, I put a bias on the technology. Um, but I don't know. It blows my mind when you go to somebody and you're like, they're working off Excel spreadsheets or they're working off like Mailchimp for their CRM or something. You know, you're just like, how do you know? Like, do you not know? Like, it's relatively cheap. You know, usually a buck or two for a property to have some of these softwares, and you're not you're not utilizing it. And it would change your business and it would change your processes and change how your mentality is and up your game where you can compete with these big mom and pops or these big uh, platforms coming in. And, you know, all, that's all the question I always hear. Well, how can I compete with this mind? I'm like, use the vendors. Use what the, that's what mind is building. They're taking what the vendors have done and doing it within the internal system and building it to customization to them. But they're using what's been built already. They're not coming up with this on their own. Mm. Mm. So. I hear the passion coming through. Yeah, sorry. I think that's a great place <laughs> to end it. Appreciate you coming on. Excited to stay tuned into your career and where you're headed next. I know it'll, it'll be something lively. I appreciate it, George. Thanks for having me, man. That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You can check out other episodes along the way. If you're watching this on YouTube, 
appreciate to subscribe, any comments. I'm always here to engage. If you're listening on an audio platform, we'd really appreciate a review. It's a great way to help other people find out about the show.